Welcome to the show. It's just Jacob here at the top once again. Uh, this episode we've got another great chat with our friend Matt Byrne, which is probably only the beginning of a very important discussion about how socialists within the Labor Party relate to the broader Australian left, both extra-parliamentary and parliamentary. Uh, but before we get started, we've got a little announcement. After more than a year of making this show, Dull Capital is now on Patreon. We're not going to hide any of the show behind a paywall, but if you want to support what we're doing, becoming a patron on Patreon will get you access to the Dole Capital Discord server, which is basically a chat room where you can hang out with us and other patrons and keep the discussion going. Um, you can give us feedback on the show and uh, give us your suggestions for topics and guests that you'd like to hear. Uh, since we started the show, we've been paying 15 bucks a month for RSS hosting, uh, and we've been using a borrowed audio interface, mics and cables. So the goal, if we can get a little bit of money coming in from listeners, is to make the show self-sustaining and buy ourselves a new interface that has more than two XLR inputs, which would mean that Ben and I don't have to share a mic when we have guests on the show. Um, one of our cables is also noisy, and we'd love to get a USB mic for Ben so that we can introduce a new bonus segment where he goes off solo. Eventually, if we can get a bit uh, more, a few more patrons beyond that, we'd love to take the show from monthly to fortnightly or even a weekly affair. So if you'd like to support the show uh, for as little as five bucks a month, head to patreon.com forward slash dollcapital. There's no exclamation mark, it's just uh, D-O-H-K-A-P-I-T-A-L. And we'll email you instructions to join us on Discord uh, if you haven't used it before. And if you can't be bothered typing in the address, just open up your podcast app, find the show notes section, and um, there'll be a link there to the Patreon page for you. So thanks for listening. Um, I really hope you find the show useful. And if you have the means, please do consider becoming a supporter on Patreon. So that's it. That's the pitch. Um, Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Dole Capital. And please enjoy this episode with returning guest Matt Byrne, who joined us once again from Belgium. One, two, three, four. We want class war. And we're at a moment where sort of all, all contradictions are made. Right? The byproduct of the crisis of contemporary capitalism find ourselves in this week in class politics. Classic fucking boomer. Old new left. Maintaining the relations of neoliberalism. No! Capital! No! Capital! No! Capital! No! 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 Ideas are international, but we're from Canberra. So like no! And welcome back. Well, actually, um, I don't know if you've gone anywhere, but... Maybe they're listening to these episodes in quick succession 20 years from now. They might be. They might be. And, and, and if you are listening to us, you, that, it's right. You are listening to Dole Capital. Welcome to the show. Yeah. We have our uh, great friend of the show, Matthew Byrne, former secretary of the ACT Labor Party. Mm-hmm. Um, it's his today. third time on the show. Well, it is. So he's a record holder? He is. Oh, and- no, he's tied with Amy. Well, with Amy. yeah, and, and I think the most important thing is that he is our, our man at large, our, mm. uh, our, our man, man in Brussels. Brussels. That's yes. right. Yes, he's out there um, doing the important work for Dell Capital, monitoring the bureaucrats of the EU. Yeah. So that's you right. Know, we, we have him out there. He's like our Bob Hawke. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah but yeah. like a 2020s version. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. You accusing me of being an asset of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Of, of the deep left. Yes. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, Matt. How are you going? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. It's, it's nice to be back on. Um, I think um, you guys are going to have to, you know, find some more friends or something, but it's, it's, <laughs> nice, to, it's nice to come back on and, and have a chat. Yeah. In, oh, we, we uh, do have plenty, actually. Not, not so sunny Brussels. Yeah. We do actually have quite a, quite a few more guests lined up, but Matt is on at an opportune time, really, for us. There's lots of things to talk about, and... Um, really, it's getting into the 
the hot bit of the year is starting to kick off. It looks like an election is going to happen. And um, Jacob, what do you reckon? What is? What are know, we paint in us for? a picture. Yeah. Okay. So here we are. We're less than a year out from the next federal election in Australia. It's it's certainly bearing down on us. And the left, you know, broadly construed, seems no closer to building a viable electoral coalition than it was in the wake of the last defeat in 2019. The Australian Labor Party will be led to the hustings by Anthony Albanese, uh, an operator from the New South Wales left who enjoys only marginally more popularity than his predecessor, faction man of the Victorian right, Bill Shorten. While the Victorian Labor factions engage in legal pugilism to try to emerge from the branches period in forced administration with something resembling power, Groups like the Victorian Socialists and the Greens in Brisbane and in our hometown of Canberra are successfully eating into the Labor Party's vote. Arrogant and complacent, many in the ALP seem content to go down crying foul, complaining that their opponents on the left should refrain from contesting Labor seats, even as they vie to, to claim Melbourne back from Greens leader Adam Bant. The true believers remain convinced that an alliance of affiliated trade unionists, enlightened petty bourgeois who haven't yet gone over to the nasty party, and the few remaining rusted-ons is enough to get Labor back into political power and stay there. And of course, absent from any discussion about Labor's electoral fortunes or its place in the broader left, uh, is any consideration of the deeper structural shifts which have brought the party to its current impasse, declining trade union membership, the near total uh, domination of the party apparatus by jobbers, lawyers and communications professionals and the steady undermining, arguably since the days of Whitlam, of the role played by the party's rank and file membership in determining policy and delegating political power. So let's begin uh, by talking about where the ALP sits within or rather against uh, broad socialist left in Australia, um, how it needs to relate to the left if there's ever going to be uh, a left coalition that can keep the parties of capital out of power and stay stable and viable into the long term. So, Matt, we've seen Labor govern successfully with the Greens and the ACT without an explicit agreement of the sort, you know, which the Libs and Nats have. So perhaps that's not what's needed. If that's the case, how do you reckon, um, you know, a future broad socialist movement, which includes the ALP, might look and function? Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's certainly a lot to, to un, unpack there. Um, and I think it might be worth um, taking a, a few steps back and looking at um, kind of some of the historical um, reasons why um, we have this um, position in Australia where um, the ALP, which is the, the largest party on the centre-left, um, has its base in in the trade union movement, um, and as you say, has, has has had a coalition of of, of, of workers, um, you know, middle class and, and 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 other communities as its as its electoral coalition. How is it that that we that there is this this, this seeming disconnect between um, activist socialists um, and and the party? Um, and I think. Um, I think you know you can you can kind of look at this from the from the position at the end of the Cold War, um, and I recently know what, what Ben um, thinks about this. And, and in Australia, um, you know, I think the period between the end of the Cold War in '89 and the election of the Hawke government um, in '83, I think were really um, important years in in kind of defining this this separation between socialists um, and and the ALP. Um, you know, historically, the party was founded um, by trade unionists and socialists. Um, it had an explicit 
um, socialist message that was obviously heavily contested um, throughout the, 19th, um, the late 19th and early 20th century. Um, but socialists were organised um, in and around the Labor Party um, pretty much for that whole period, um, including after the formation of the Communist Party in 1920. There was still socialist engagement in, in the Labor Party. It was always critical. Um, you know, it, was, it wasn't... Um, the, I don't think the party, um, too long after its founding, was seen as, as you know, the be-all and end-all, um, but it was still seen as, as a necessary vehicle um, to engage with um, in, in the realm of formal politics. Um, but I think um, you see the the, um, the the creation of the new left in the nineteen the late fifties and early sixties uh, does change the dynamic a bit because you've got this call this critique of of formal organised politics um, for a, a looser, more democratic, more participatory form, um, and that does start to in, in, in involve itself in in formal political organisations like the ALP. Um, you know, through either the, Vietnam, the anti-Vietnam War protests, um, through the liberation movements uh, and the like. Um, but it's really in the 80s where there's a break. Um, and I think that's kind of where the relationship becomes problematic because you've got around that time the formation of the Green Party, um, you know, in, in, in Sydney and, and in, in Tasmania and other places um, where uh, a home for the, the kind of new left um, is, is kind of created um, and you've got also the, the formalization of national factions in the ALP. I mean, Osmond Chu wrote a really great piece in Jacking, which people should have a look at, which, which goes into that. And I think that's kind of where we can, where we can start our, our analysis of this, because I think to, 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 to understand our current position, we need to have a look at that. Yep. Yeah. Historical perspective. We've got the bells going on. And yeah, sorry, it's, it's it's midday here and it's it's yeah, a Catholic that, country, so. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's great. We don't need any of that. It's just the rain. Um, I think the th- what we're looking at now is we're dealing with the, the aftermath of that historical period of there being a pretty much a pretty stark dichotomy between the political expressions of the working class um, politics in Australia to then getting into the, the Cold War and now I've had what's happened since. And I think now, I, I guess what we, one argument I'm increasingly more and more sympathetic to, uh, which was a guy from a great show. I think you might have even put me onto it, man. I think it was uh, the Acid Corbin, Corbinism um, show Navarra Media puts on. Jeremy uh, Gilbert. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Mm. But he, he had a great quote because he was talking about labor in the UK is not the site of struggle it's just one of many sites of struggle mm. and i think that really is a really good way to look at it uh in terms of an australian context given we're a much smaller population than, than a lot of other developed countries uh we also have um political parties are all suffering from um basically this command and control has taken over we don't have the mass parties that we used to um which create problems for people on the left because we there are not aren't very many of us uh, and there are a number of um, different currents that we have in Australia around the Greens. You, your, your options are, you know, you can be in the far left, you can be a, a movement person uh, doing campaigns or electoralism and you can get into the, the Labor or, or the Greens in, that, in those sort of circumstances. So there, there is a bit of a choice there for socialists. And, and I think we are, um, we do encourage people to be involved in, in whatever on this show, as long as they're, they're, if they're coming at it from a, a view of um, democratic 
emancipation, self-emancipation, more the point, empowering people themselves. We're all for it at, at Dog Capital. But, but I guess in terms of this one, we, we do think that um, the Labor Party is a site of struggle and it's one that socialists or left-wingers should be participating in or, or at the very least taking a keen interest in its debates and what's happening and trying to influence those debates and, and what's happening. Would you say that's kind of like, I mean, I guess that's the starting point, mm. isn't it, Matt? Well, you, Matt, you mentioned like um, the social movements and the new left and how, uh, so what you're saying is that that, that kind of represented um, a, a sort of separation, I suppose, of, you know, the breakaway from mass, pol- the sort of single party mass politics and the, you know, emergence of, you know, separate currents through which, um, you know, political expression happens and they're not necessarily parliamentary, they're extra parliamentary, um, they're kind of paraparliamentary para-electoral or whatever you like, um, you know, thinking about things like the women's electoral lobby um, or um, the Vietnam um, war moratoriums um, in Australia, um, things that were directed um, partially towards um, elected officials, but also that were big kind of cultural experiences, cultural um, subjectivity making moments. And so when you say, I suppose, what the, the task that the Labor Party is now faced with is trying to remarry a kind of mass electoral politics with these like separate, you know, social movements that have been existing, you know, parallel to it and outside of it for the last, you know, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is why I say at the break, um, I think in, in my in my reading of it, the, the break occurred in the 80s because mm-hmm. you can definitely see that those influences, those movements were um, involved in some way, shape, or form in and around the Labor Party in the 1970s. Mm. Um, you know, like uh, um, Jim Cairns and, and Lionel Murphy were, were were both, you know, especially Lionel Murphy, heavily involved in anti-war, you know, the Vietnam War and, um, moratorium um, campaigns, um, you know, the women's electoral lobby um, and, and other um, feminist or, um, you know, movement organisations were um, heavily involved in pushing um, the Labor Party to, to change its, its, its policies and even its representation of women um, as an organisation um, backed up by unions. Um, you know, feminists were involved in the Whitlam government, um, either, you know, as appointees and the like in, in, in developing and overseeing the implementation of policy. Um, so, you know, there was... There was for this brief, there was for this moment, you know, the Labor Party was um, was was seen as as a vehicle for for these movements in some way, shape, or form. Um, but it's the eighties where where that where that breaks up, um, mm-hmm. and I think there's there's a number of reasons for that. That that was probably worth a, a, a pod on its own with someone more informed than 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 me. But I think that it's it's that it's the for, it's the it's the election of the Hawke government. Um, the um, formalization of factions in the party, um, which um, the the um, adoption of policies around economic rationalism, uranium mining, um, and the like, which causes schism between the party's kind of more activist socialist base, uh, well, the, the socialist activists in the party, um, and the people who ran the show, um, and I think instead of staying and fighting, a lot of people left. Um, and you know that also came around with the you know the hard you know the hard politics of the New South Wales right, um, the first talk cabinet locking out the left, um, and a real kind of consolidation of power in the party. Mm-hmm. Now I think that that's that's kind of where um, that's where thing that's where I kind of 
I, I begin this. Um, then you have the formation of the Greens um, and a lot of those people like Howard Greenland, who was a Labor activist um, who formed this thing called like the Green Labor Group in, in Sydney, um, goes off and helps to found the, the Sydney Greens um, and takes that kind of current um, into that party. And I think some of that embitterment as well, like to be frank, and I think that's kind of where you start getting these, um, this, this real like black and white view that the Labor Party is is shit and can't be engaged with and can't be um, reformed or, or or the like, and a Labor Party view which is that these people are crazy and can't be engaged with, um, which is very self serving for both groups' position, um, and. And that's kind of, I think, where we're at. So I actually don't think it's it's the Labor Party's responsibility or or um, well, I actually think it's socialists' responsibility yeah. to to kind of break down this 40-year-old um, psychology mm. <laughs> mindset uh, because it doesn't work. It hasn't worked. You know, like we've... The small number of socialists in the Labor Party haven't really shifted the party's position Um you know, the, um, we've lost a lot of elections uh, since 1996. Um, socialists in, in movements and, and, and left activists in the Greens have barely moved the position as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, think, um, I think we have to... I think what I'm calling for basically is, is, is for a line to be drawn and mm-hmm. for people to actually take stock and have a look at the fact that um, we've basically failed. Um, yeah. That project has failed, um, and we need a, a more um, realistic appraisal of of what lies in front of us, um, and like what are the viable vehicles, um, if there are any, for for engaging socialist politics in Australia. That goes to that whole question that there's a concept that's recently I've, I've come across um, going off. It's not off topic, but dead on ecology, right? So it's that idea that around a political landscape that you're going to have. A whole lot of people from different um, organisations, political perspectives, uh, whether it's whether it's unions or non-government organisations or support groups or you know left groups or whatever, and the idea is that in a community, what you do is you try to cultivate a, an ecology um, based on an idea of encouragement and um, I guess linking activities and the like Mm. uh, to then further develop that ecology um, rather than, you know, and I guess I came across this recently. uh, um, I guess that's a far more from what you're saying, Matt, like some of the old ways of doing stuff is no longer viable for socialists in labour, let alone I think there's that frustration. I think I know I feel and others of, the way things have gone in the 90s of it's wrap yourself in your particular ideological sort of garb and um, organisational purity and, and that's it. You go into battle every day. Um, mm. But really, what are you going over? You're not really changing much, mm. all, are you? Like you're yep. spending more time mm. fighting the interscene sort of, you know, wars with yep. different groups. These are the views of um, Rodrigo Nunes in his book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I read, I, I listened to an interview with him on Navarra Media um, the other day, and while it was hard to hard hard going listening to it, to be honest, but I thought that was a really um, very very clearly and very very well put mm. argument um, about um, you know creating an ecology is, is the way mm. forward. So I mean, I know we we had a question here, didn't we, about like um, should left civil society or 
Yeah, I was like, mm. well, that that should left us in the ALP. You want to build a united anti-capitalist sort of, you know, front division of future where the ALP functions as the right wing of the left or should we hope for more, you know, like how, how should we sort of well interact, so, interact with Labor? And also, I mean, well, the way that I sort of see um, how the party functions now is it's quite closed um, and it's a sort of, you know, it's a windowless monad, you know, it stands on its own. Um, there are not um, like easy passages uh, for people to move in and out of the party, you know, as uh, you know, remaining party members and active in the party, but also involved in other things, you know, and having some healthy overlap with say their, their roles in um, social movements, um, you know, or, or other activism that they're doing. I mean, um, that's not conducive to the party having a role in a broad, in a socialist ecology, you know? Um, so um, think party needs to, uh, people in the party need to sort of recon- reconceive what it is and what it does, you know? Um, mm. So yeah. Um, how would it do that, Matt? Like what, what kinds of things should the, the party be, you know, how should it be changing itself and what should it be involving itself in? Well, I think, I think for starters, I actually, I don't, I don't necessarily agree that the party in and of itself is a closed shop for, for activism, either movement activism um, coming into the party or or members in the party being active in other things outside of it. I actually don't necessarily agree with that from a structural point of view. Like obviously um, formal participation is is varied from state to state. Um, mm. It's easier to get a vote in some things than others in, in some states. It's easier to, to, to influence policy in some place in some states than others. But there is actually the room for, for engaged campaigning, I think, from a movement point of view in the ALP. What I think there is the problem of, and and um, I might not have articulated it clearly, is I think there is a, a cultural mindset that exists in both the ALP and outside of the ALP in the in the in the in the radical um, or the, the social movements and, and other organizations which um, feeds off each other, which is that neither is a good way of doing politics from each other's perspective. Um, that um, effectively creates barriers for people who want to do both from doing both. Um, you know, like if you, you just have to go on Twitter, basically, mm. if you're an ALP person and you're showing um, solidarity or even um, providing some, some views on a social movement, um, whether it's climate, in, you know, or, or other things, you're basically called a Labor Party stooge. Um, even if you've never held a position in the Labor Party, the fact that your membership of the Labor Party um, means you're a wholly owned subsidiary of, of, I don't know, like Bill Shorten or Albo or whatever, um, which is like patently not true and disingenuous. Um, but it's, it's a really deep-seated um, I think mindset amongst a, a, a significant number of, of people. And, oh, and by the same, by, I mean, by the same token, um, like the, the sort of psychotically obsessed labor supporters on Twitter, oh, many of no, many, exactly uh, many right. in, most of whom I would venture to guess are actually not party members. Um, but <laughs> well, for know, sure. I mean, I agree the, the rabid defenders of was... labor are equally as yeah, closed off and completely unaccepting of other political perspectives or the, the possibility of collaboration. Yeah, I completely agree with that as well. That's the other side of the coin, mm. is that yeah. there is this kind of idea that you're not engaging in adult serious politics unless yep. you're engaging in, in party politics, right? 
And it's a very specific form of party politics as well, which is basically let the politicians who are obviously our betters, you know, go off and do this stuff. That yep. They're not, yep. that they shouldn't be held accountable, you know, or or that they shouldn't be influenced by by the, the party membership or the trade unions or, or the like, right? So there's, you know, it's not a nice thing to say, but, it, you know, the, the left from a very broad definition of it is pretty sick, I think, mm-hmm. in Australia because... We've got this really un, unreal, like it's not not a viable form of politics that's kind of defining activism at the moment. Um, you know, I mean, you even look at a, a social movement groups like the Tomorrow Movement and the like, you know, compare that to, say, Sunrise. And, you know, obviously the, the Democratic Party is an extremely different organisation to the ALP. It's much looser. Um, in, in some ways it's much easier to be involved. In other ways it's a lot harder. But you've got a social movement organisation, a climate-oriented movement that's trying to change, you know, the Democratic Party's um, policies. They're encouraging their members to get involved in, in the Democratic Party through the primary system, um, to actively um, lobby um, members, to help um, activists who want to take over um, state um, Democratic parties. Um, like I, I think it was in Nevada or New Mexico. I could be, I haven't got mm. the exact... Um, I, yeah, I think it was Nevada, right, or Arizona. I'm not quite yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's, it's in the south, um, in the southwest of the of the US. But um, um, whereas here they're like, oh, the Labor Party must do this, or they are all fucked. Like, <laughs> which is, yeah, yeah it's not. Yeah. Whereas you know, it's just they haven't done. The, there's no work going on 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 what is how does the Labor Party work? How mm. you get involved in it? Is is it movable? And we know it is, like we know it is, because of, of the work of organisations like Lean, who is who should be a, a conduit and is in some respects a conduit, but not as strong as, as it would be if, if the climate movement actually did engage in a serious mm. way in thinking about how you can change the Labor Party from the bottom up as opposed to changing the party from the top down, which is yep. how they normally engage. Yep. Um, you know, Labor for Choice is another example um, of you know, a member movement, which was able to change the party's policy. Um, so it is possible, mm-hmm. but that kind of block of the, we have to engage with Labor because they're probably our only viable political vehicle to do this, but we don't, we don't, we don't take them seriously. They're not really part of us. So, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously I'm, I'm paraphrasing and generalising here and, I'm, you know, I'm sure it's not the view of every activist involved in all of these organisations. So when you get your hate mail, you know, feel free to forward it on. But, um, you know, I think that it's it's certainly there. But also, you know, we know from our from activists' involvement in the party that that certainly the PLP, the Parliamentary Labour Party, mm. and some but not all um, union officials definitely take a position, which is, um, you know, these people are crazy. They're a bit yep. mad while we mm. want to engage mm. with them. You know, they're not real. They're not yeah. serious. And I think both those positions are wrong. Yeah. Um, well, so, yeah, like you mentioned um, the sort of the, there's, I think there's like a real broad lack of understanding um, in the sort of other parts of the socialist left and in social movements of how the ALP really functions. And a big part of that is um, the fact that the, its most visible component is the FPLP, the Federal Parliamentary yeah. Labor Party, which is, you know, in a way, and, you know, it's, this is like very clear when you look at the sort of the, the history of the founding of the Federal Parliamentary Labor Party, which is that it didn't exist until after 
a bunch of Labor members had been elected to the federal parliament. Um, and then they declared themselves the federal the federal sort of party, you know, as a caucus, um, which was, you know, they were right to do so. And once they had worked out the sort of principles of um, caucus solidarity, it was an incredibly effective body. But, um, you know, the other side of that is that it's, you know, kind of become this kind of grafted on very top-down um, decision-making body um, where, you know, power power is not delegated from the bottom up. You know, so um, uh, I suppose the question is how can, you know, existing active kind of left party members, what can people like us do to, mm-hmm. you know, communicate more about the reality of, you know, taking part in, you know, bottom up rank and file campaigns like Labor for Choice or, you know, communicate, um, you know, how things like conference work or even just, you know, yeah include the broader left in those processes if possible. Yeah, well, I think I think it would be worth you guys having um, Grace and Bryony on or, or people who, who are involved in something similar to actually, you know, break down how their campaign worked um, because, you know, it's an example of, of young women in their early 20s in the smallest state, you know, branch or, you know, being in Tasmania, but, you know, electorally speaking, the smallest state. In, in the country, organising a movement in the party and actually getting the, the party platform changed on what is still, what was then still an extremely controversial um, policy position for the Labor right, which is abortion law, you know, women's reproductive health uh, policy. Um, so it is possible. I, I, again, uh, I know I'm kind of um, pushing back on you over here, Jacob, a bit today, but I think it is like yes, the the federal parliamentary Labor Party is powerful, but it is also responsive. Um, it does take. I suppose I was talking more in terms of perceptions than anything, but yeah, yeah. okay, sure, okay, yes, it is. It is perceived as this mm. as this block where where a handful of people have all the power and the say, and in some respects that is true. But because of this kind of cultural um, milieu or this this kind of cultural mindset, I think that exists in 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 social movement and labor politics in Australia, there really aren't those big pushes, you know, in a serious way. Like, you know, the big pushes are, so the pressure points are usually around conference, um, which is held every three years, um, and state conferences, which is which are generally held annually, um, are generally big pressure points for policy-making positions. Um, if, 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 there's a, if there's leadership ballots, um, you know, there are also times for, for pressure, um, and, and there are other other moments um, throughout an electoral term, I think, where where pressure can be applied. Um, and if there was a serious engagement, um, if there was a if there was a better linked up um, relationship between um, movement activists and party activists, then you know the resources that could be pushed, um, the campaigns that could be run, might be more effective. Um, you know, obviously, it's difficult when when the Labor Party is in opposition federally, um, but they're not in the state level. Um, I think there's only two states where the Labor Party is not in government. Um, you know, and, and the, this kind of relationship could be very effective at changing state Labor Party um, policy as well. I mean, we shouldn't just um, focus on mm. on federal government. I mean, we would love a federal Labor government that was going to reform things and actually fix a lot of things, but. Um, you know, Labor is in government um, in six of the eight other jurisdictions. So um, this kind of thing could could be done, I think. Just in terms of the federal structure of the party, would you say um, it's that, that reform has to happen at the state level before it can happen at the federal level? 
Yeah, well, I mean that, that's where the party's organised as, as mm. an organi- as an institution. It, it's mm. state branches that that mediate the relationship. You know, it's 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 where members join. It's where unions affiliate. Um, it's it's for the most part it's where um, pre-selections are are determined um, in the various ways that the states do it. Um, and it's where delegates to things like national conference are elected as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it is it is definitely at the state and territory level where where this stuff has to has to occur. Yeah, doesn't that? I think I'm just listening there, Matt. And I mean, I guess for for some of our listeners and people who are new to uh, getting an idea about being involved in labour or in, or in the um, the broad left, if you like, the there seems it's very strange. There seems to be this sort of very strange of um, amnesia or willful ignorance to actually understand that um, the Labor Party in Australia is a an amalgam of state and territory branches, all with their their separate history. And I think um, Jacob put it really well in terms of like if you actually look at the creation of Labor was actually a you know, it was a bunch of people got elected and then they formed a party, was, um, you know, in terms of a, a federal... At the federal, yeah. At the federal well, level. The, well, the, the Labor yeah. Party existed before before Australia as the Commonwealth did. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and what it leads to is basically this idea, like, um, I think one of the points I'd say in terms of Labor being a site of struggle is people who aren't in Labor should, and depending on what their state and territory is or whatever, should have a good serious look about look look at how understand how the local labor branch works, understand you know get an idea of like well how how onerous it, how hard is it to actually be involved in it, and you know what's something you actually want to go and be involved in trying to push forward and is completely doable. Um, there are huge opportunities for people on the left to actually influence the policy and the um, the direction of of labor it's a side of contest for ideas in the complete vacuum of um, ideas that currently exist in in um in labor whether it's a state level or the federal level you look at some i mean there's some great stuff in the state level in terms of what's happened around um uh, uh nationalizing prisons in queensland or you know we've talked about the the pro-choice things and and uh, the environmental things but you you look at um, some of the ideas coming out of the federal the federal PLP just makes you weep. You know, it's sort of there's not much big ideas going on about. Um, I think in terms of actually trying to really be serious about tackling some of the big challenges we have around um, the the climate emergency we're facing. I mean, we're what apparently got ten years before something has to be done. It's and we've probably had eight years. It's you know mm. we've only probably only got eight years before something needs to be done about. Emissions. And um, yeah, all, you people, know, all people see is the is federal politicians getting squeezed in the kind of like culture war aspect of the climate stuff. Yeah. Nobody's really yeah. aware of like for example, like you mentioned, Matt, the work that Lean do in, in the Labor mm-hmm. Party in developing policy. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm yeah. just I guess I'm just putting it out there that like people it, it's just another site and, and people that and not just a, another site is probably um, in the absence of there being a um, uh, and you know, a left institution or political party that you could point to that that would have greater influence. I, I think Labor is um, um, one of those important areas to be. Mm. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're looking for reasons why um, we need this reappraisal of strategy on, on the left in general, I think time is is probably the best argument. Um, yeah, we have less than 10 years, um, according to science, to resolve um, to meet the climate challenge or um, we're in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, we fail. Um, I remember, you know, talking, getting involved in, in climate um, activism in the early 2000s. You know, we've had this stuff's been going on for more than 20 years um, and we haven't seen any significant change. There's been some good stuff happen at some state levels, counted by some very not good stuff in other areas. Um, and we just got to stop. Um, we just got to stop kidding ourselves and pretending we can just keep posturing um, around our, our political alignments or, or how we engage um, in politics because of, um, it doesn't it doesn't align with our our stylistic feelings or our aesthetic feelings of how politics should be done. Like mm. we're just not we're not getting outcomes, um, you know. And I think it's it's this is I think this is why it's a worthy topic of consideration, um, not just from those outside the ALP but those in it as well. Yep. So I, as I kind of flagged um, in the little intro right at the start, like um, I think it's pretty clear that the sort of electoral alliance the the Labor Party's relied on for a long time is, if not falling away from it, it's stagnating and it's not, you know, a necessarily um, group of people, not all of it at least, who are really politically activated, but rather Mm -hmm. kind of a lot of them, particularly, you know, kind of depoliticized, you know, kind of middle-class households who are not really necessarily going to, you know, engage in, the Labor Party as a sort of civil society organism, you know, um, but who vote for it out of reasons of, you know, maybe moral reasons, sense of identity. Maybe they come from a kind of quote unquote Labor family. Mm. But, you know, I suppose question is if the LP is, you know, going to become a part of a, well, look, let me put it this way. If the goal is to exclude the capitalist parties from government for a very long time, who does the LP need to you know, pitch itself to as, you know, not just as voters, but as members, you know, who like, and also like, my other thing that I would really like to hear you talk about is whether such a sort of governing coalition can be put together without uh, sort of an, a formal, you know, electoral agreements, because it seems like there are very, very few people in the ALP particularly um, who have any stomach for, an, a, you know, a real like serious look at deciding, you know, uh, what seats to contest and which ones to leave to the Greens, for example. Yeah. Well, I think there's certainly a lot there and they're two, they're two different, um, they're two different questions. So I think on the, on the electoral coalition um, question, um, which is separate again to who our activists are as well. um, I think it's, it's, it's difficult and it's not a, a problem unique to, to the Australian centre-left in that we are um, facing a generational, um, a broadly speaking generational divide between those who um, have, can own property um, and, and be asset rich and want to protect that and those who can't. Um, it's not a clean divide because there's obviously a significant number of, of older Australians now who are, who are running into... Um, housing pressure, especially um, older women who are divorcing um, uh, and, and, and the like. Um, but there is a clear, um, it might not necessarily be age, but it is predominantly an age um, um, d- 
delineation um, between those who can afford to own, own property and those and those who can't. Um, the ALP is is being challenged on um, its its hold on um, migrant multicultural communities um, for various reasons, um, and that's certainly something that needs to be tackled. Um, and that actually does relate to um, the activist base and the internal workings of the party. Like the party is not diverse um, from a representative point of view, um, and doesn't do doesn't really have the levers to, to fix that in a systemic way. Um, and I know that's, that's, that's some work that Osman um, Chu in New South Wales is doing on, is doing, um, it was an issue that um, we try to confront in the ACT is very difficult um, to do. Um, it, it's, a, it's a genuine issue that needs to be um, resolved. Um, and then there's this, this um, you know, a, a group of voters who, um, you know, vote regularly um, 10 to 12% for the Greens that, that were largely ALP voters as well. Um, they don't get as much coverage um, as some of the other, the other voters do, or even the small number of voters who, who move from Labor to, to One Nation um, seem to get much more coverage than, than those who we've led to, um, to the Greens. But they're another group of people who who, you know, once upon a time um, voted for us. Maybe it's because they preference us, right? So our electoral system obviously mm. um, is a mandatory um, preference um, system um, where people might vote one green or the like when they come back to us in preferences. So um, it has cushioned the blow um, to pass occupation, um, so to speak. But no, certainly I think they, they are challenges. Um, you know, I think they're, they're, they're the people who we need to win back, kind of those, those broad groups. But that's not easy because how do you, how do you wield together um, those folks who have not, not the same material interests, so to speak, um, at least on, on, the, on, the, on the, the plane of housing and, and, and access to, to jobs and things like that? Um, they're, not, you know, they're not the same. Maybe the issue is, is around um, provision of services, aged care, um, expanding Medicare, um, expanding um, things like access to childcare and, and the like. And I guess, Matt, that does lead us to one of the um, one of the things we've, we've been talking about and I think it's really clear uh, around the opportunities is if you want to actually get representation of a broader segment of the population, I know Osmond's done some um, fantastic work in New South Wales branch around um, greater representation of people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, um, one of the key things is actually recognising that one in five um, people in the population weren't, weren't born in Australia. Uh, the demographics in this country are, are changing. Um, and we don't need the hand ring about it. It's literally like you need to create a place, um, a political space that is open, that is transparent, that is actually wants you to join it wants to listen and get your ideas and wants to actually empower you to be part of it. And once, you know, you're the best and the brightest and the, you know, the determined to run, no matter what their, their background is and to be part of that uh, in terms of, I guess, political representation. But I guess that the other swing side is that is making those connections in, in communities to actually help broaden that idea that, um, being a socialist is not just electing someone. It's also about, you know, getting our, our hooks into 
building self-empowerment, um, whether it's community campaigning, but more, more to the point, the big thing that's missing in this country is actually building workplace power around bringing power in the, in the workplace as opposed to seeing a workplace um, power, workplace politics as something that should just be diverted to um, third-party campaigning or, you know, being a ginger group for Labor. That doesn't actually help Labor. It doesn't help a mass party to be actually be created if um, we, we keep the doors shut and we keep it tightly controlled. Yeah, I think that goes to um, Jacob's view about um, whether the party should be, you know, more similar to a civil society organisation or, you know, a, a community um, um, organisation as much as it is an electoral vehicle. Um, yeah. And I think it wouldn't surprise anyone who knows me that I agree with that um, broadly. Um, you know, I think that we, we the Labor Party would gain more electorally um, if we open ourselves up and, and became more uh, and, and, and enabled us to relate to people better, <laughs> our supporters for starters. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's true. Like we, we do have a lot of um, Byzantine um, organisational processes and, and structures. Some of them are necessary for governmental reasons and, and you just have to look at the Victorian branch for reasons as to why some of these things are necessary. Um, all the New South Wales branches feigned... Um, relationship to the truth um, and transparency um, to know why some of these, you know, more onerous governance things need to exist, like um, counts and, and, and memberships and all these kind of committees and, and whatnot. Um, but there is still this kind of fear or I don't know what, what it is, this kind of this idea that, that we shouldn't include people obviously somebody is, is the want to control things um the smaller the people involved the easier it is to to, to control um the party but there is also a bit of a the um uh in, introverted um kind of technocratic nerd um i think psychology as well uh, which doesn't want to talk to people or have to debate um that's just sorry that's a tangent but um, no, I think on a, on a more serious, um, on a more serious note, if we, if we reach out and, and look to be bigger um, and actually want to um, include more people, then that could actually change. Oh, no. Oh, no, we lost him. No. <laughs> Sorry, folks, we just lost Matt for a second and we're back. Uh, okay, if you know where you were at, Matt, you feel free to continue. <laughs> Look, I think I think if you if, if the party um, organisationally decided to to reach out and decided wanted to grow more than more than than a, than a Julia Gillard, Bill Shorten, we want to be hundred thousand members by the year twenty fifty, um, kind of goal, but actually seriously take a step back and say we can't win unless we have relationships with communities out yeah. in the electorate. And that involves more than just um, advertising to them once every few years or sending a duty senator out um, to places we, we, we don't normally win. Um, then if you look at the party from that perspective, then you're going to have to make changes to your organisation, to how you communicate, um, to what you expect of your elected representatives, to the role of affiliates um, and the like in, in pushing to to change the organisation in a in a way that is outward looking and and, and wants to grow, mm. um, 
you know, and these are the kinds of, these are some of the things that we, we did in the ACT. Um, it wasn't, you know, it, it's going to, it would take a long time to do, I think. Um, and it's not as if um, there's, there's, you know, people in the upper echelons of the party in some states are naturally inclined to do this. Obviously they're not. Um, but it involves things like advertising um, yourself, um, asking people to join, um, giving people a say, um, and if that means you've got to overhaul your your policy development processes so that they are, you know, more open and and, and not as um, staid and formal, then then so be it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think I think it's yeah, I think that's these these are the kinds of things that that could be done, um, and they have real effects. Like you know, growing the ACT branch um, membership. Um, and asking members to to contribute a little more through their membership um, fees um, significantly helped the ACT branch from a financial perspective. It meant that we were no longer reliant on on donations from um, property developers and, and and private business interests, which then created the political conditions to you know, for the party to move on on banning property developer donations and, and making donation law reform, um, you know, more, more stringent. Mm. Um, like it wasn't a conscious if we do if we do A, then B will occur, but you, like it absolutely created the conditions for that to happen. Um, and that, that took, you know, energy from, from a, an organised rank and file group in the party who'd been active for more than a decade to make that to make that happen. Yep. And the other thing, I mean, because you mentioned um, sort of the practice of sending junior senators out to where generally the party will, you know, neglect people um, because they're not seen as sort of viable electoral prospects. Um, the other thing that I think is really, really important, aside from sending, say, senior senators out. Um, I said Judy, not junior. Sorry, Judy senators. Oh, right. I see. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but in any case, um, I think another really important thing is to actually have members, you know, out there and participating just in their just in their sort of um, capacity as rank and file Labor Party members. Yeah, Batemans um, Bay Labor, but actually having a meeting. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Not, not just a Facebook page that doesn't answer your But also, you know, questions. Get, like getting involved <laughs> out there like visibly yeah. as party members in like local um, local struggles right. out on picket lines or, you know, supporting um, social movements or whatever, mm. which I think... Um, one thing to consider is that that will necessarily involve the relinquishing of some of the control over sort of the party brand and who gets to represent the party, you know, in civil society, um, the relinquishing of some of that control by sort of central party office branches, you know, which is. Yeah, I think, and to be honest, I think a lot of that, that so-called control is actually a self-disciplined. Yeah mindset that exists in, in much of the membership as it currently stands because it's been browbeaten into submission over the last 30 or so years. Mm. Uh, but realistically, members um, can go out and represent the party. They can't. There's obviously like they can't say, oh, the Labor Party will, will you know, socialise all industry. That will, that's a Labor, that's Albo's policy. That's obviously, <laughs> like, not, not believable or, or real yeah. or smart. But they could certainly say, well, as a Labor Party member, I'm going to campaign for this in the party. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think as a Labor Party member, we should do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like that's, there's no reason why members can't do that. There's no reason why, men, you know, people can't, can't do that. And I guess, again, it's, this is where I think we, we go back to our, 
our first topic, which is that if if there was a a better um, a better approach from movement um, from the movement and from um, segments of the party to marry up, then it might be easier because um, there might not be Labor Party members in some parts of rural New South Wales, but you know you, you pick up a paper every now and then you see like small country towns like Lockhart and they're like having a gay pride march or a climate, um, you know, protest or whatever, yep. you know, the, 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 the um, convenient idea written by some members of the Labor right that anyone kind of living west of, of Surrey Hills is, or Marrickville is, is automatically conservative or, um, you know, small L laborist um, is, is like junk. It's a junk idea, um, and it just is their ideological predisposition. It doesn't. I don't think it reflects reality. Yep. That also brings us to the interesting question of um, unions, really, yeah. um, and affiliated unions. I mean, you know, we already talked about how the first colonial, you know, labor electoral leagues, as you said, were founded. You know, in the uh, like before the the federation itself. Um, and that, that founding happened in the wake of really cataclysmic defeat for the movement in the 1890s. Um, those trade unionists brought, you know, they had brought the colonies, ports, railroads, and manufacturing centres to a dead stop, um, only to be sort of mercilessly undermined by colonial governments um, through, you know, strike breaking and violence. Um, so, um, you know, they're, they're being sort of clients to big pastoralists and capitalists in the colonies. Um, so, you know, the the labor movement resolved um, to be represented in government or, or even, even to control it. Um, and so, you know, we have to say from the outset that, you know, the Labor Party just wouldn't exist if it weren't for the Australian trade union movement. Um, on the other hand, you know, the, the sort of age-old criticisms from the left of laborist politics, um, that, that politics of the unions, um, they ring true. Um, you know, unions tend not to be revolutionary organisations because they find their sort of <laughs> raison d'etre in the wage bargaining equation. Um, you know, their bureaucracies, um, which are completely necessary for them to feel, fulfil their function in industrial bargaining, um, tends to become kind of ossified and self-perpetuating. Um, but on the other hand, again, I guess I've got three hands now, but um, in industrial society, they have always been at the for forefront of working class struggle and the formation of working class identity and solidarity, um, which are essential for you know, the socialist project. Um, so, you know, each trade union has a different char um, character, different membership, different leadership, and thus they all, you know, have different approaches to how they use the Labor Party as an instrument to deliver outcomes for their members. But I think that's an important point, is that um, to generalise the approach that um, trade union leadership take towards the party is um, an instrumental one. Um, so um, still thinking about as well this idea of the Labor Party um, growing and transforming to become itself a sort of object in civil society as an institution um, and having a broader role in social movements, including the trade union movement. Um, you know, um, how should we sort of think about this relationship between the party and the unions? Um, mm. The other thing to consider is that, you know, we can generalise and say that um, with some exceptions, um, membership at union membership that is has declined over the past 40, 50 years. Um, and, you know, that's brought a new set of pressures and incentives to come to bear on the trade union leaders. Um, and, you know, there's a general perception that many have focused on consolidating political power 
at the expense of time spent, you know, either in industrial, in industrial struggle or, you know, building membership. So um, how are we to sort of pick this apart and um, think about um, the role of socialist activists who, you know, generally are members of their relevant trade unions um, and how to think about how they should be participating in the, the Labor Party, you know, as they relate to the, their own union and other unions and how they participate in their union as it relates to the Labor Party. Yeah, uh, I, I think um, I think it's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting conundrum because um, obviously we can't we can't succeed as a movement without a, a well organised militant you know trade union movement. Like yep. It's just I don't think it's possible um, at all to progress any of the big changes we want to see um, <coughs> in society without it. They were instrumental in the founding of of the Labor Party and provided a lot of the infrastructure for the party while it was a, a kind of a nascent or you know, a, a, a growing organisation. And it has the character of the relationship has changed a lot, you know, since since the party was founded in the 1890s um, because of, you know, the changing nature of, of, of the economy, um, you know, who, who workers are, how they, how they work, therefore how unions organise and technology um, uh, and the like. Um, so I think that that we have to recognise that those those changes, um, and I think also we we need to um, you know reflect again on on how power operates in, in the Labor Party um, and that the block vote um, at conference um, is still a very powerful way in which power is is, is exercised by affiliated unions. Um, now, in some aspects of the party, I think that's 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 a reasonable thing. Like in terms of issues of policy and governance um, and the like, the way conferences is currently organized, around 50% of the delegates are from unions and 50% of branches or whatever I think is fine. Um, but in terms of you know building workers' power, um, educating um, union members, um, politicizing them, um, and the like, then I think that that model is limited um, because it, it narrows down the union as an institution's relationship to uh, to the party as, as an institution. Um, and, you know, I completely understand if you're an organisation of 150, 200,000 members, you need a delegated way of, of, of organising yourself internally, right? I completely get that. Um, but that doesn't mean that that... They shouldn't, you know, from a democratic socialist perspective, our, our, our aim is the emancipation of, of working people, right, through, um, through political participation, you know, effectively through the democratic process. Um, and so if, if you're looking to empower people in the workplace, you should be looking to empower them in, in the political process as well. Um, so for me, I think... Um, we need to find ways of, of getting um, union members involved in the processes of the ALP, um, and that could involve overhauling the, the, the policy development process to include um, union members to actually turn up and talk to party members and talk to each other and, and the like and come up, you know, through a deliberative um, process and then take things to conference um, and the like. Um, it could involve getting them to say and other things as well. Um, it doesn't mean you've got to you've got to um, you've got to pay off you've got to give union members power over rank and file members of the party. I think that's a that, that's an unnecessary um, 
kind of straw man thing to do. Um, and you know, and I think it's pretty clear you're not going to get anyone to go and door knock for you if you if you don't give the record file um, a say in the party. So uh, you've got to be realistic about these things as well. Um, but I think that, that that's that's another you know that's another way that we can grow our presence in the community is that oftentimes unions are going to have a presence. Um, and even unions that aren't affiliated to the party are going to have a presence in communities or like in a, in a bigger way than, than the ALP as an institution does. So if they can feel more of a relationship with their natural party, um, then, um, you know, you, you could very well see an improvement there. Maybe like the, the stuff around ecology and, and that might be worth talking about a bit more. I don't know. Yeah. Now, we're talking about ecology before. I mean, it's it's basically what we're trying to sort of um, unpack a bit is like what, what's a strategy that socialists could do in 2021 uh, in terms of actually intervening uh, in labour as a side of struggle and, and how um, how would we actually go? I mean, there's the interactions that we'd have with, with, the, with the unions per se uh, in that space. Like, you know, um, my shorthand for that is like, well, Really, it's. I think you're hitting on it. Um, as a member of an organisation, you you you've got your own political right and power to exercise a vote you know, in terms of who you elect to conference or or that sort of thing, or or how you're going to campaign for an issue and trying to convince others. And I guess my take would be, um, if you're involved in uh, trying to push a particular set of ideas or a particular set of uh, a particular policy or the like, you, you'd want to build enough support with other people who agree with you so that you could actually say, okay, we're going to send someone to go and talk to the local union official and put that idea to them and see if they agree or disagree. I, I, I think I think it almost like it, it's partly, um, I guess, about, you know, having a political interaction and a discussion, but it's also kind of tra- transactional because I said that increasingly is the way in which uh, the union bureaucracy in the current universe we operate in in Australia and in the ACT are basically you're dealing with people who are very transactional um, rather than ideological about, um, you know, transforming of agenda. I don't know. I, that's my take, um, Matt, on, on the sort of the challenges and, and we just have to be rather pragmatic about how we do it. We just get on with what we care about, what we want to do and empower others and ourselves and um, not be, um, you know, find ourselves um, going down little, Rabbit Warren's <laughs> being worried about um, what some employer is doing. I think I think transactional politics could open up opportunities um, for uh, some some engagement um, based on issues potentially, um, and for for forming alliances where where it's 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 useful and and for not um, having to sustain them when when they're not. Um, I think it's important for. Um, you know, podcasts like yourself and, and other outlets um, from the ALP, um, whether it's Challenge or, 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 or where people have relationships, um, to educate um, activists um, about how change is possible um, through a bottom-up approach to the ALP as opposed to just focusing on lobbying politicians. Um, I think that um, our comrades in, in movements um, and other organisations um, should take a leaf out of the movements in um, the US and the UK um, who uh, have, you know, been able to affect change um, in in reasonably substantial ways um, through uh, the US Democratic Party and and the Labor Party to some extent. Um, 
and and look at how how they've achieved that um, because I think I think those opportunities exist. I think it's going to take a um, you know a, a, a reappraisal of of how they conceive of um, party politics in Australia, um, and I think this is just as applicable to the Greens too. Um, by the way, as it is to the ALP, I, I think the, the Greens um, kind of coast through. Um, a critique, but more and more they they are mirroring the Labor Party in their um in, in you know in their in their um uh, opaqueness um and, and, and inability for for um for people to influence them uh, as well. Um, so no, I think I think um, look at sunrise, look at momentum, look at um, the ways that that movement organisations link up with each other. Um, in the US and trade unions as well, um, on um, key areas of policy, um, whether it's the, the the For the People Act, um, the Pro Act, um, or the um, or all the stimulus packages that that are um, being driven through um, um, the US the Senate at the moment, um, you know these are people who are understanding that they're doing it through solidarity, but also through transactional reasons. You know, like DSA. In the US and, and some and the AFL CIO are probably not going to be best friends forever. Um, but they're working together um, to to get you know massive pro-union um, legislation through through the Senate. Um, obviously the parliamentary system in Australia is different, but if 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 people are looking at getting outcomes, they need to take a step back and go, okay, well, where are the pressure points on some of these people who we need to move? not necessarily standing outside of their office or doing a sitting in their office like in some ways that's actually just giving them um feelings, a reason to say um, fuck off a reason to say fuck off that's yeah. right yeah. that's right whereas if you um recruit people to join the party over time um you develop relationships with local union um officials and activists um you um you know and you start working um the community and the party, then um, you know you're going to see it. You can move the ground from underneath some of these people. Yep, spot on. <laughs> Without members, you don't have. Um, you can't. You're not going to win elections. Is one of our key points. But also, um, you know, you build an empowered membership. You can actually hold elected officials to account whether it's um, free pre-selection or, or by applying pressure both um, in the, inside the party itself, uh, but also, you know, externally as well. But I think it's just, a, you know, as a side of struggle, it's just another, um, it's another strategic tool that you can use to try to shape uh, where you Yeah, work. that's right. That's right. I mean, this is going back to the Jeremy Gilbert point, which is that, you know, the, the Labor Party is a side of struggle because it's, it's, a, it's, it's the main, um, main place for engagement in formal parliamentary politics. And he goes further and basically says that the line that runs, that the line between those who want to change and progress and, and, and make the world better and those who are um, either um, reactionary to that or who are basically defenders of the status quo and a system that's, that's entrenching inequality um, um, and, and system climate crisis runs through the Labor Party mm. in the UK. And I would argue it runs through the Labor Party in Australia as well. Mm. Um, you only have to have a look at the debates around natural gas, coal mining, um, you know, um, 
uh, housing policy and welfare reform to know that those debates are happening in the ALP. Um, and at the moment, we're not winning. So it's like you can't just then just turn your back on, on Labor and go, well, okay, well, that's stuffed. I'm, I'm going to go off to the Greens and I'm just going to focus on that because if Labor gets in the government, they're not going to enact those policies, are they? Um, so, yeah, it's um, just to reiterate, it's not the only place people should be engaged in, but it is, I think, a necessary place to be engaged in. Um, the Labor Party, you know, in its current state is not the easiest organisation to work inside. If you're an activist, we all know that. Um, and it's not going to, it wouldn't be, um, you know, um, happy days, rainbows and, and the like, you know, easy going. It's hard because there are people in power who will try and stop you, but it is possible. And it might be more possible than you think if you actually had the, the, the power of the movement behind you in, in trying to push these things as well. Um, so, you know, we've talked a lot tonight about um, like um, conceiving a place for the Labor Party and the kind of broad socialist left. Um, but and there's another, um, you know, more binary conception of Australian political history. Um, I think I'm not sure if it comes from if it's like uh, Stuart McIntyre, maybe Frank Bongiorno, some prominent Labor historian who is fond of saying this, that, um, that you know, Australian political history is really defined by the contest between the Labor Party and then any given configuration of anti-Labor parties, right? Um, so given that, you know, I think we can take that at least for the time being and for the, you know, foreseeable future to remain the case. Um, how, you know, is it too much to ask for the, um, the egos and personalities that, you know, exist and thrive in the, you know, outside of labor in the left to reconcile themselves to that, to being part of that, you know, um, Manichaean kind of struggle? Look, I reckon now's the time. I mean, um, Ben pointed me to a, um, a conversation that Stephen Jolly organized. He has his podcast in Melbourne where a group of, um, of members of the, of the left in Melbourne had this kind of big powwow about the state of things and the like. And, um, it was notable because even Jeff Sparrow, who I think symbolises that that perspective um, or has symbolised that perspective, says that they haven't got the answers anymore and that <clears throat> there is no one big trick um, to solving um, the crisis of capitalism um, and the like and that they have basically failed um, in doing that. So maybe now is the time for people to call for a more uh, call for a reappraisal of, of strategy um, that does see a place for engagement in the ALP from a, with a bottom-up um, strategy. Mm. Um, yeah, like, and again, I, I'll keep saying this throughout our chat because, uh, like, it's it's very easy for these conversations to be um, pushed into a corner um, by activists on both by by people on both sides of in the ALP and outside who it's convenient um, to not have this conversation is that the ALP is not the only vehicle or the only place that people should be engaged in, in activism. Um, and by engaging the ALP, we're not just saying like people who want to dedicate 20 years of, of hard slog, it could just be joining, maintaining your membership and being there to vote when the time counts, you know, so doing what you need to do to be eligible. That could be enough, right? 
Yep. Like, but it's it's just having people like breaking down this 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 psychology, this this frame, this mindset that has existed where um, not where we it's all in or all out. Like, I just they're, they're, they're both those ideas have failed entirely. Um, so I, I do think that now is like it's like um, I think now is the time to have this to have this conversation. I think. Um, I think even yeah, those those older, more um, more um, um, yeah, committed um, anti-labor activists on the left. Um, I think even they're starting to to confront the fact that that it hasn't worked. I don't hope so anyway, um, and that might lead to some kind of a reappraisal. I don't know, Ben. What do you think? You you have you know been around in those circles at some you know for a good deal of your of your life and your political. Uh, I, I was thinking about that. That that chat. Look, people, for our listeners, um, go and check out a Melbourne calling. And there was an episode about I can't remember the the title. We'll find it in the notes. But it was basically talking about the left in Australia at the moment and COVID. And and it was kind of a bit a bit of a strange chat. I mean, you can watch it on YouTube. It's kind of entertaining in a weird kind yeah. of way. Um, but, you got Stephen Jolly, Jeff yep. Sparrow, Guy Rundle, Alison Pennington. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, the comedian um, uh, Ballard, yeah, Tom Ballard, Tom, yeah, Josh, yeah. Tom, Tom Ballard. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So they had a few of the darlings of the, the you know, the Melbourne left and, mm. and broader. Um, all have you know got look. I mean, there's no 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 um, no question. They've all got interesting things to say and, and, and contributions they've made, whether recent or um, historical. Um, so you know, um, all power to them. But um, one thing I was struck by was. Yeah, I, I, I actually see. I, I initially was kind of shocked in the sense of Jolly sort of there saying, he, "Oh no, we don't have the answers anymore." <laughs> like literally, that. Um, but it was, it was one hand, and the other part of it, it, it was a bit of a downbeat chat going on. Um, I don't know. Um, I didn't feel getting feel any optimism about it at all, and I didn't feel any sort of you know real drive for, oh okay. Um, what some ideas for people to go and do, mm. uh, which was which was a bit disappointing. Um, but look, I, what I took from it though, there were some interesting um, things there. But I think I think um, th- I agree with you, Matt. I think there there should be more and more of um, people out there calling out in whatever way they can for strengthening an, an ecology of socialists across. Um, the various parts of the the world they find themselves in in Australia, whether it's through you know economic think tanks or through the Labor Party or through right being you know uh, uh, contributing to journalism or or through people who are trade unionists mm. or, or involved in a um, uh, community organisations or support what, whatever like it's all fine and and I think we need to become um, more agnostic and pragmatic about what. Um, the organisation is, and more focused on um, what are we trying to do to build uh, a stronger ecology to, to deal with the challenges that we have. So I, I know um, Miliband was on recently on the Owen Jones show um, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Owen Jones, who's a, a big... Um, which well, Miliband? Uh, which, what's his name? What's his first name? Ed, not- Ed. Yeah, it was Ed. Yes, it was Ed. Ed. Yeah, yeah, not David. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The good one, not the evil one. Well, you know, good-ish, I should say. But, uh, yeah, Ed was on, and he does have a new book out, which he was talking about. And it's actually it's all about thinking big. And it was an interesting 
uh, seeing him speak to, to Owen. And one of the things I really took from that was uh, his emphasis on the challenges that are happening today and that rather than the left because of its recent um, uh, you know, failures that we've had, the defeat of Sanders and the defeat of Corbyn, while he wasn't really explicitly saying that so much, um, he very much was, was saying, look, we, we need to actually talk big in terms of what we want to um, go and achieve. And I think to do that, um, it really is an emphasis on, on looking to, um, to collaborate. So being pragmatic with who we, who we work with and, and trying to collaborate as best we can. And, and probably as more of these conversations go on, I hope with people about uh, instilling that idea to collaborate to, to, um, around you know, um, solutions that we can go and achieve. Mm. Uh, because heaven knows we, we do need a more um, linked up left in um, Australia and and I think um, you know we'd want to work with those people out, out there but also um, I think we'd sort of see uh, that there from my, my perspective I think there is a there's an opportunity for people um, outside of labor to actually get involved and look I mean in ACT we changed the rules well hopefully they're not going to change soon but <laughs> we we changed the rules that you could go to an event or activity um, and account for one of your meetings to be credentialed to vote, you know, vote for conference, which meant like going to a Mayday rally or, you know, you don't have to just turn up to three meetings a year. I don't know. I mean, every branch has their own different stuff. We're not talking, it's not the most onerous of... Well, we improved on that too. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, we got rid so, of attendance requirements altogether. But, yeah, um, yeah, you just I, pay I, I think you're right. Like if yeah. Ed, Ed Miliband's view, I think Ed Miliband's perspective on, on going big and, and grow up building coalitions and and not being um, so bloody um, um, narrow-minded about how, how change happens um, is a really great example for our comrades in the, in the formal part of the ALP uh, to, mm. to, to, to take on. I think, um, you know, Ed um, seems to have, you know, seems to be working quite well with the, the, the Green New Deal uh, campaign in the UK. Um, you know, he's 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 a member of the shadow cabinet, so he's limiting what he can what he can do and say. But um, if he's booking his um, podcast and his various um, things he's he's said and done since he he left the leadership of the party um, is anything to go by, then um, I think you know it's that attitude um, is is certainly something that I would love um, some of our members of the parliamentary party um, who sit in the left to 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 take on. Because um, you know he he you know he absolutely um, is committed to the parliamentary model and um, uh, and the like. Um, I don't think he agrees with his father <laughs> on that critique, um, um, but he certainly uh, sees how how a bigger party and, and, a, and a more um, a, a more connected up relationship between social movements can 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 be effective at, at making change happen. Mm. Um, yeah, in Australia, you know, what we really like to see is, um, yeah, like a, a left coalition um, putting together a similarly kind of big, you know, transformative, but nonetheless um, material and imaginable um, proposal, yeah. um, firstly, to put to the Labor Party um, and say, like, this is where it's going, you know, are you with us or not? And then, um, yeah, um, to... to for the for the Labor Party and you know and the Greens and any other small left parties to take it to an election together, you know, 
um, is the idea. And it could be something like, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's there for the taking in Australia, housing affordability, um, dental into Medicare, um, things like this, inequality in general. Um, Wages stagnation. Yep. Wages. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. But I think, I think we also have to know that like one of the impediments to that is the electoral system, right? Mm. Like, you know, in your, in your opening um, um, spiel, Jacob, you talk about, you know, the, the Labor Party and the Greens governing in the ACT. Well, the reason, the main reason for that is the electoral system is we have a proportional representation system. We only have one chamber. Um, yes, it's a broadly progressive um, town, but it, it has had liberal governments um, in the past. Um, it, 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 it's, it's economically a bit different to the rest of the country and they are like reasonable you know, reasons to why it is more progressive. Um, but that, that, that proportional system allows, well, means that the Labor and the Greens have to work together um, in order for it to work. And one of the reasons why Labor um, struggles in, in Tasmania is because they couldn't get that relationship to work. Um, again, a proportional system. Economy is very different, obviously, to the ACT. Um, and the, the, um, the grounds for conflict are much more um, apparent in, in Tasmania than they are in, in, in the ACT, for sure. Um, but the, the inability for both the Greens and Labor Party um, to find a way through that and find a way to, to, to work um, has basically pissed off a whole bunch of people who, um, you know, don't really see, you know, both the Labor Party and the Greens votes have gone backwards in, in Tasmania. Um, you know, so there are, if you can't make it work, it's, it's, it's problematic. But I, I, at the moment, I, I can't see how you get Labor and the Greens um, to work more effectively about either a change to the electoral system mm. in other states and federally, or, um, um, you know, but frankly, a growth in, in, in the left and more sophistication on our part to find ways of mediating um, these, these issues and concerns. Um, because, like, you know, I don't think no one's going to be able to stop the Greens and, and, and Labor as, as, as formal parties from contesting seats and trying to knock each other off. Like, that's, that's just a part of the system. Um, and it's, it's, it's shitful to see both Labor and Greens attacking each other for trying to like win seats, like that's the electoral system, um, you know. And I don't, I'm not one of these kind of, you know, kind of very smart people in Victoria who just think we should just give up on the inner city and just focus on the outer metro. Like I think that's that's insane. Um, but I also think that like we can't just like, you know, get into rings and knots when when the Greens like contest seats as well. Like that's you know it's just this the way the system operates um you know <laughs> we we have to we have to be you know we have to find a way through that and i don't think that's that's through the formal electoral side of the party <coughs> sorry um i think that's that's through the um the the membership the movement um can help redefine that relationship with you um but at the moment we're too small and too fragmented and, and um too unwilling to engage with each other um, as socialists, that is, um, in order to try and find a way through that. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, part of what has to happen is probably um, a better kind of social integration um, of um, the socialist lefts, you know, in both parties. Um, it, you know, it might not be 
ever, you know, necessarily working together formally on, on things. But um, I think um, uh, collect, both moving away from the, the sort of arguments in both parties that it's impossible to work together and um, resisting that and um, just trying to become the, the strongest voices in the party for like how they, how the parties can proceed um, in a world where neither of them is going away. Yeah, I agree. But I actually think that's actually where it's going to be the hardest. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, you do listen to things that come out of the, the left um, Greens in, in Queensland who, you know, are con- who have been involved in, in, in some pretty tight um, and, and highly um, controversial election campaigns in, 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 in Brisbane um, where they've knocked off um, people like Jackie Lamy and they're gunning for left um, members like Terry Butler. Um, and, you know, they oh, are... Oh, Jackie Trad, do you mean? Jackie Trad, sorry, yep. Jackie Trad. Um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, same lady. No. Oh, no, no, not quite. <laughs> no, 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 I can't read Jackie Trad. But, um, um, and, you know, they, they are, you know, they, they commit those things of, of Labor's fucked and, you know, they're all sellouts and, you know, you know all Labor left members eat coal for breakfast and all this kind of bullshit, um, you know, and because they're on the up and they think they're going to win seats um, by doing that. But they also try to claim to be the, the owners of, 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 the, of the, the parliamentary home for socialism in, in Australia. Um, whereas, like, you know, I just... I don't see how you can create that that hostile situation and then expect Labor to govern with them. You know, <laughs> like I don't if that's where they're aiming for, because they obviously are not going to win a majority in the Queensland Parliament in the next hundred years. So, mm. like, what's their theory of change? Because if it's just browbeating Labor into into doing something when they're just like talking to them as if they're a bunch of idiots all the time, then you know that's not yep. that's not conducive. But I'm not, and I'm not saying that that's you know that's kind of our issue to resolve. I think that's that's well. There's that's, no, that's, there's, that's, mu- that's there's mutual hostility, and there has to exactly be, there has to exactly. be detente that comes independently from both sides, right? It's driven from both sides yeah. inwards. So, and that does yeah. actually. I, I, one of the ways would be through you know members at the grassroots, um, probably calling out calling out behaviour. Mm. Well, it's not just behaviour. It's just a, it's pretty toxic. Um, yeah. It's a, it, well, people in the grassroots. Look, there's are... one thing about like there's one thing about competing and then there's, there's another thing about just being toxic. It's mm. like, well, you know, if, if you're going to find yourself in a political um, institution where you're going to need to work with, a, with another organisation that shares similar political positions, um, you don't need... You don't having a to- like. I absolutely agree with you. Man. You don't have to like each other. No, no. you don't. No. You really don't. But you don't need to. You don't need to. It's it's um it's divisive and it's um it ends up being played out on the ground. And we do see, like, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, we're actually probably in many ways um yeah, there's toxic stuff that goes down at lecture times between activists and um, stupid things that you know are amplified um hundred times more than they actually are in real life on on social mm-hmm. media. But um. Yeah, which people, is just which is get out. People like, in the yeah. grassroots level are, are best placed to yeah. um, facilitate or to engage in conciliation and cooperation. Um, we shouldn't be surprised at all that um, Terry Butler or um, you know Greens candidates are 
incredibly hostile to oh, their, for a job, their counterparts in the other party. Yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, yeah. their their careers, their livelihoods depend on um, victory in a zero sum game. Yeah. Um, it's not the same. The, the case is not really the same for um, your average uh, member of the South Brisbane Greens or the Labor Party in Queensland mm. um, or in the ACT for that matter. Um, and we've we've all got friends who are in the Greens, you know. Um, so um, yeah, I think you know part, maybe part of the issue is is um, is rank and file members though. taking their? It makes it hard. Um, and part of the mm. issue is is rank and file members taking their cues from the people that they look up to in the party, who are generally candidates and, and leaders. Um, so, uh, but that's not an insurmountable barrier, I don't think. And I still, I definitely think that the that the sort of beginning of change has to come from the bottom in both parties. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, that's it from us. Um, thanks so much to Matt Byrne for joining us. It's been a real pleasure having you for the, back for the third time. Thank you. Yeah, um, and uh, that's it from us um, at Dell Capital. There's a couple of things um, you should check out that we read this week. Um, there's an article out in the Australian Journal of Politics and History um, that's all about uh, Bob, uh, Bob Hawke's time um, you know, liaising with um, various uh, diplomats and uh, informants um, back to the US kind of deep state. That's fascinating. Um, so if you're interested in kind of the Hawk years um, and the history of the ACTU particularly, I'd definitely go check that out. Well, look, we'll have the, the link for um, Melbourne Calling, that episode. With, uh, oh, we've already linked that in yeah, the last episode. Done. Oh, yeah. we did, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, obviously. So that's cool. Know. What else have we read? Owen Jones? Ed yep. Miliband. Owen Jones and Ed Miliband. Check yep. that out. The um, What was the name of the guy that you're reading at the moment, Matt? Rodrigo Nunes. His book, Neither Vertical Nor Horizontal. All right. I think that's that's about it. That's it from us. Yeah, that's it for Dole Capital. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. See ya. Catch you next time.